Hello, and thank you for joining us for our last week in our series of We Are the Church. We've been talking about the theme of what is the purpose of the local church. We've been setting out to define what church is supposed to be and declaring what it is not. The church is a place to serve, to be connected, and to live on mission with God's kingdom. It is a place of diversity, of inclusiveness and power. So our scripture is going to be directly out of Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 16. And while you're turning there, I um, wanted to share a quote with you this evening. And it has to do with faith. Faith is not something we do. It is a response to what God has already done on our behalf. A response to a spirit restless in a fragmented world. And as you continue turning to Romans chapter 10... I absolutely love that quote because it talks about the Spirit of God being restless to bring the world back to its original good and perfect uh, center, that return to the Garden of Eden or return to pre-Genesis chapter 3, and that's going to be a huge theme in what we talk about today. So this is what Romans 10 verses 14 through 16 has to say about the church. How can we, his people, invoke his name when we do not believe? How can they believe in him when they have not heard? How can they hear if there is no one proclaiming him? How can some give voice to the truth if they are not sent by God? As Isaiah said, How beautiful the feet of those who declare the good news of victory, of peace and of liberation. But some will hear the good news and refuse to submit to the truth they hear. Isaiah the prophet also says, Lord, who would ever believe it? Who would possibly accept what we've been told? And so, in response to the very last question, I agree uh, with those who would have heard Isaiah's message. And what a strange message this is that we have. A message that uh, God picks a nation and works through a nation, and they just don't get it. And then we get to the Gospels, where uh, Mary is impregnated by the Holy Spirit, immaculate conception, and then she raises Jesus. They have him. Uh, He has a little bit of a rebellious uh, cycle whenever he's not with his parents in the caravan. He's back at the temple with his dad. Uh, We see at 10 years old, and then he uh, lives uh, kind of an obscure life until uh, the last three years of his public ministry, and then he dies and is resurrected from the dead, and then that has to do with every living person that's ever lived. That is quite a strange message, if we're honest. So some of the topics we're going to be talking about are mission and evangelism. We're going to talk a little bit about what is the kingdom of God, and also a hint of selfishness through all this. The big idea of this is that every believer has been given a mission by God to advance his kingdom and to snatch back lost ones. And this is also huge in relation to church within the wall. Usually we talk about church outside the wall, but we're going to talk a little bit within as well. Our application should be that we should share the good news with others um, and also that we should have a missional mindset, not a selfish or a closed-off mindset. So let's start off with our first talking point, that 
Uh, we'll start off with a quote that Canon John, a popular evangelist in England, once said this. He said, if you want to go on a missions trip, simply walk next door. And this is so true. Many of us think that the mission field might be uh, Mexico or the Netherlands or Ecuador or Asia or Russia. But often it could be our neighbor. It could be the person that we see at the coffee shop every day. It could be uh, someone that we see um, within our family. It very well could be the person who is going to file our taxes, or it could be uh, someone who waits on us as we go to a place for supper. That every Christian can and should be a missionary, uh, regardless of what they do in life, their vocation, or, or even where they live or where they're located. That everyone everywhere needs to have an opportunity to hear the good news. So we mentioned earlier that the church is a place of diversity, and it should be. It should include all people from all places, but also it's a place of inclusiveness, meaning that we're called into the body of Christ. Tom Rainier conducted a study last year on Twitter uh, to study the top reasons individuals will visit a church once and then never come back. And these are the top 10 reasons why people don't return for a second visit. The first is having to stand up and greet one another during the time and worship service. I was kind of surprised by this because I've been to a lot of different churches who do this, and often I thought it's just a friendly gesture. But overall, it really shows that most people really don't enjoy or like that time. Now, the second reason in the top 10 list was that there was unfriendly church members, which, of course, we could guess this um, as this is an anticipated result. But the surprise in the study showed that it wasn't people just being friendly, that it was people going over and greeting people but not being genuine and faking it was really uh, the biggest issue. Uh, whenever I read that, I'd immediately thought uh, of the Drake song, uh, Showing Fake Love to My Face, and uh, that just totally resonated with me with uh, number two. Uh, number three is having an unsafe or unclean children's area, and as someone who has two young children, I could definitely see this being true. Uh, number four is no place to get information that it wasn't clear and obvious as to where you would get information or or what was going to be happening in the upcoming week. Now, the fifth reason was a bad church website. Sixth was poor signage. Uh, not really being sure where to go for classes or where the restrooms are, things like that. Uh, seven is a huge one, that it's insider church language. Um, and this isn't really referring to how difficult the sermon is to understand or what theological language people are using. But it's saying things like, the WMU will meet in the CLC in the room where the GAs usually meet. It's stuff like that. It's kind of internal lingo that we, we either shorthand or come up with things, and then that kind of excludes people. Uh, eight was a boring or bad service. Number nine was members telling guests that they were in their seat or their pew. And number ten was just that the place was dirty. Uh, comments were made such as, Restrooms were worse than a bad truck stop, or pews had more stains than a Tide commercial. Why those are uh, humorous, um, they do kind of relate to the concept 
uh, of what we think is the church. And this is very important as we talk about uh, the book of Romans, that often uh, we say that church is a place, it's, it's a building, it's a group of people, um, and somehow we really miss the concept of church. That church can be a place where we meet in a tree, under a tree in Africa, and nail a sign to it and says, this is where God meets with us. Um, it could be in our local coffee shop. It could be a number of places. Uh, it doesn't have to be in a building that's perfectly clean or has great signage or a place where the worship is just right with the perfect electric guitar solo or the right vocalist. Um, somehow we've made church that it's this thing that entertains. Uh, I'd once heard it said by uh, a famous pastor that uh, church needs to be like a, that perfect first date, that we need to set up the date so it's totally perfect so that they'll return back. And again, I really feel like that's missing the point. That still shoots to this point that there's an entertainment factor to it. Uh, whenever a church shouldn't be about entertainment, but should be about spiritual growth and discipleship. So let's dive in a little bit into the book of Romans. First of all, the book of Romans is a four-part explanation of the gospel message written by Paul to the church in Rome. Since Adam, humans chose to live selfish and sinful lives. The people of Israel tried to obey God, as we know through the Old Testament, and follow the law, but they did not succeed. Only faith in Jesus' death and resurrection uh, can justify humanity and fulfill God's promise to create uh, a new covenant relationship with his people. The, the descendants of Adam, that is. Through Jesus, God creates a new covenant family and includes everyone, Jews and Gentiles, who are unified as they love and forgive one another. Even though people continue to reject Jesus, God uses their rejection to expand his family and grow the church. Because God's plan is to unite all things under him, under heaven and earth, under the banner of Christ. And this comes directly out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. We have attained an inheritance, and we have been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things out after the counsel of his will. So if this is the case, then there must be also something at war with this. Uh, and that, of course, is the devil's greatest objective, is to produce division within the church. And this, for this reason alone, that is why so many of Paul's writings have the aim of unity. Uh, just knowing his writings from the New Testament, the ones that deal with unity are Galatians, Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Romans all revolve around this theme of unity, specifically regarding the Jew-Gentile issue. And so we're going to dive a little bit more into this, just in division within the church, um, because it's really huge for us that, you know, today we talk about division, things like what worship I prefer, or what should we wear to church, or really what is the Sabbath day, or should we baptize or not baptize? But those really are not the huge questions. So let's kind of investigate this Jew-Gentile issue. While we are pretty aware of the division that currently swirls and divides us now, we need to remember that this isn't unique. This isn't the first time the church has disagreed from within the wall. From the beginning of the church, division has always been the greatest enemy. In each letter, Paul uses a different tactic to combat division based on the situation. 
So while it is probably true that the first converts in the church were Jews and Rome, the condition didn't last long. A significant Gentile population had begun streaming into the church, and with this diverse backgrounds kind of mixing together, this caused no small amount of disagreement about what did it mean to follow Jesus. For Paul and Romans, the answer to division could be summarized simply with one word. And it's not a great one. The word is die. And this was based based on the death of the Messiah. That we should put aside our differences because Christ died for all. Right? Sounds like a pretty simple message. His answer is not for the Jews to fight uh, for their right of being the chosen one. Or to boast of their heritage. Uh, or it's not for the Gentiles to brag of their freedom from the law. But to follow the Savior in his humiliation. In his service. True, abundant, and flourishing life can only be had by walking hand-in-hand with Christ through the darkness of death to ourselves. And that's really what Paul is after in Romans. Paul wrote the epistle to Rome to deal with division and explain how the work of Christ could be applied in fractured relationships between Jews and Gentiles. He wrote to churches that needed to be reminded of the justifying and unifying work of Christ. They could then begin to have... Uh, their orthopraxy line up with their orthodoxy, or better yet, to have their orthodoxy drive their orthopraxy. Uh, Put simply, that their right belief must guide their right action. That right actions don't always force right beliefs. You have to have the right beliefs in order to have the right action. He begins the letter detailing the reign of sin and its destructive force. Then in the middle of, really, Romans... He gives the theology that overturns destruction and brings peace, life, and hope. The gospel was the answer for Paul. That finally, at the close of the letter, he contrasts destructive behavior. He explains in chapters 1-3 through with living sacrificially out of love for neighbor. So we see that in Romans, each cycle gives us marching orders in terms of our actions and thought life during cultural and spiritual division. So these are just them broken out. Uh, The first cycle that we see in the book of Romans is the death cycle, and this is Romans 1 through 3, the death through self. The second is life through death, which is going to cover Romans 3 through 11, and the last is the life cycle, Romans 12 through 16. And the only one we're going to be discussing today is life through death, which is chapters 3 through 11. So let's talk about this a minute. Uh, But before we do, I want to reference where I pulled this work. Uh, Much of this work is coming from something called Paul's Magnus Opus, which is by Patrick Schreiner, who wrote uh, the Life Through Death series. And he had a lot of good thoughts on this that I wanted to share. So let's jump right in. Paul's solution for this cycle of death is found in blood. And we see that in Romans chapter 3 through 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin, that people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. The unorthodox and destructive practices that Paul lists in the beginning of Romans are answered with the death of Christ, that life confronts death here and conquers through resurrection. 
So the death of the Messiah satisfied the wrath of God, the wrath of God and brought life to all of us. The righteous that both Jew and Gentile seek after can't be found in works. It's not found in heritage. It's not found in freedom from the law. But God's justice is only found in following the one who has life himself. Simply put, Jesus is life. If you remember anything from this message, remember simply Jesus' life. The peace that was lacking in the cycle of death is gifted to Jews and Gentiles because now they have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's directly out of Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles are no longer a part of the death cycle, but have been transferred to another domain. And since they have died with Christ in baptism and will be raised to new life with him, the old self enslaved to the death cycle, great news here, has been crucified so that we are no longer under the power of sin. And again, this is right from Romans chapter 6, verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, because we should no longer be slaves to sin. The hope that Paul presents is loaded with the theology of the death and resurrection of Christ and the power of the Spirit. Jews and Gentiles can walk in newness of life because of the works of Christ. They can do because of God's great promises to them and his unending love towards them in Christ. And if you want to read something a little bit about that, that comes directly from Romans chapter 8. While Paul began the first section with disordered worship, he closes this section with ordered worship. He speaks of the deaths of the wisdom and knowledge of God and praises him for the gifts that have been given. Now that Jews and Gentiles have heard of the depths and love of judgments of God, he then transitions on speaking how they should begin to live a new life together. And this is really important because, again, really what he's after is what's the binding agent for all of us? The binding agent should be Christ alone. It shouldn't be the good works or the orders of service or what we wear or where we sit or in how fancy the building is that we worship in. It's in simply... Jesus is life. So in thinking of the mission field, I don't know what you're thinking in your mind as you listen to this, but think of your community, your family, your neighborhood. Think about where you could impact the world directly through sharing the good news. Because the mission field doesn't always have to be overseas or some exotic locale. But it can simply be our local barbershop, our neighborhood, our family. So as you contemplate this, just commit yourself new to God and say, yes, I will go to those places to share this good news. So just a few discussion questions before we wrap up our series, We Are the Church. What is one thing from this podcast that stood out to you? According to everything we've said, from talking about the top ten reasons why people visit once and don't go back, to uh, the opening quotes, to even the life-through-death cycle, is what is necessary for people to come to know Jesus? 
Is it really difficult or is it rather simple? Maybe a follow-up question to that is, what does it mean to live on mission? In contemplating places that you might take the gospel, our fourth question is, what are the biggest hesitations about sharing the gospel or sharing your story, your testimony? And lastly, think of how you would like to share your testimony on how the Lord has used you to help introduce someone else to Christ. As you answer those questions, maybe you'll know exactly where Christ wants you to go and who he would like you to talk to. So as we wrap up this We Are the Church, remember that the church is a place to serve. It's a place to be connected. It's a place to live on mission for God's kingdom. It's a place of diversity. It's a place of inclusiveness and power. Because worshiping together is not something we do. It is a response to what God has already done on our behalf. A response to the spirit restless in our fragmented world. Hope you've enjoyed this talk this past week on We Are the Church. And join us for our next series as we begin next week on The Bible Doesn't Say That. We're going to be looking on different reasons or maybe some things that are cliche that people mention of uh, things they might believe the gospel says when, in fact, it actually doesn't say that. And so join us next week for our podcast. Uh, have a great week, and if you have any questions, uh, drop a note in Anchor or on our Facebook page. God bless.